Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edge of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong. I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my Connectfulness Counseling practice and our collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. This episode is brought to you by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is a simple, secure EHR platform for therapists and private practice. It keeps you organized and creates a container for all the details that run your practice so that you can focus on what really matters. Use the promo code CONNECTFULNESS and get two months free when you sign up at therapynotes.com. Today, I'm joined by Resma Menegam. Resma is a healer, author, and a trauma specialist. Resma believes that moving from race to culture is important, transformative, and takes work. A lot of work. He helps people, communities, and organizations find strength and healing that's both holistic and resilient. He's authored three books, Rock the Boat, How to Use Conflict to Heal and Deepen Your Relationship, Life, Leadership, and Legacy, 101 Tips for the Emerging Justice Leader, and his most recent book, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. Resma and I recorded this interview in July 2019 before the shootings in Gilroy, California, El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. In his book, My Grandmother's Hands, Resma writes, Healing from white body supremacy begins with the body, your body, but it doesn't end there. In order to heal the collective body that's America, we also need social activism that's body-centered, We can't individualize our way out of white body supremacy, nor can we merely strategize our way out. We need collective action, action that heals. I believe that that is the conversation that you'll hear in today's interview. How do we begin? You ready? Dive in with us. So I'm here today with Resma Menekinam, the author of My Grandmother's Hands, which is an amazing book all about healing racialized trauma within our own bodies. And I think that 
Well, Resma, I want to allow you to introduce yourself to our listeners a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that the approach that you take in this book is one that, I mean, I would love for everyone to, mm. to pick up this book and to read it and to absorb the, the wisdom that you mm. put forth. Mm. Mm. I appreciate that. The wisdom, the wisdom actually uh, is not my wisdom. The wisdom existed before I got here. The wisdom has always existed. The wisdom is, you know, um, uh, I, I think the wisdom is all around us. Sometimes uh, we have to just slow down and recognize and begin to uh, do the work towards carving out the wisdom so other people can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is, I, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm really clear about the fact that my, um, some of the things that uh, I put in the book were both nurtured and drawn out from me by my elders uh, over a long period of time through repetition, through admonishment, through holding me, through loving me, through correcting me. Um, and that wisdom came through the ancestors and then from, from the universe. Uh, and when I, let me say this piece. I'm a pretty, I'm a very down to earth person. And when I say the universe, I'm not talking about the kind of, you know, you know, people get really (laughs) do way too much with this stuff. Right. Um, I I really, I really believe that things work in fractals and, and we, and as we move, that energy moves in Mm -hmm. and through and with us. And so when I say the universe, I literally mean that. I mean that. I mean, yeah, the very like particles. Like stuff. Yeah, yeah. Those very particles. Uh, and this is not this is not woo-woo stuff. This is actually the stuff, right? Mm. That, 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 that the, one of the first things I always say is that when creation decided it was going to create the first human being, it decided that was going to be a black woman first and that that coming out of the blackness is a very important thing to understand that it is not just a it is it is not just a human thing it is also a quantum thing that that coming out of the blackness coming out of potential that even if the blackness is present there is still that spark that's in there that you can't see it. And it is your job to carve it out. It is your job Mm -hmm. to acknowledge it. It is your job to, um, to experience it and, and, and realize that it's there, even if you can't see it at the time. And it, and the way that you carve it out is by getting the reps in. And that's true with regard to race. That's true with regard to relationships. That's true with regard to your parents. That's true with regard to dealing with this uh, this idiot in the White House. It's true with all of that. So, all of it. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm so feeling feeling what you're what you're talking about here. You know, I, I feel like I we could rap for a long time that's about right. a lot of. Right. I just want to throw out there: any language is okay on this as yeah. well. We can curse okay. or whatever. That's cool. Fine. That's good because I'm a yeah. cusser. <laughs> <laughs> I have a sign here in my office. Says, Slow the fuck down. Slow the fuck down. Yeah. So yeah. there's this, there's, this is a side piece, but there's this dude that I've, I've been listening to um, on, 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 uh, on YouTube. His name is C.T. Fletcher. Yeah. C.T. Fletcher is uh he's, he's a, he's a 
beautiful dude. He's he is a uh, he's an old dude. He's he's uh, he's about sixty something years old, right? But he's one of these dudes who was the world. He was the world bench pressing champion uh, without chemicals, without the natural bench press champion. And his whole thing is that uh, that uh, there is in order to do any type of work, no matter what it is, that you must first train your brain. He said the issue with most people is that most people's brains are fat. Their their ass is not the issue. He always says it always starts with your brain. And if you don't fortify your brain and if you think you can't, you can't. And and he and he says stuff like it's still your motherfucking set. No matter what you say, it's still your motherfucking set. He he, he just he, yeah. it, it is. If you ever get a chance to, to check out C.T. Fletcher, if you're a cusser, you will love C.T. Fletcher. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check him out. And, yeah. you know, I, I think I'll probably take away a bunch of tips, too. I'm also, yeah. um, I train a little bit with strongman type stuff, so I think I'll take away oh, too. You listen, listen, <laughs> listen. If, if you do that, you're going to love C.T. Fletcher. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm excited to I'm excited to dive in there. That'll be yeah. fun. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Okay, so let's, let's get down. And, yeah. um, you know, I there's a few things that... I noticed we're going through my head as I was reading your book, uh-huh. um, as I was reading my grandmother's hands. Well, I should put it this way. I'm so curious and I, I've gotten to listen to you on a few other podcasts. And so I've learned a little bit about you and your background from there, Good. but um, there's more that I wanted to know about you while I was mm. reading your book. Cause I mm. felt like so much of the book, you were helping me learn about me. Okay. Through your story, through the way okay. that you, through the way that you talk and you talk a bit about your grandmother and your mother in the book, but I've heard you in some ways, even in some other places, talk about the force that your mother was in your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and hmm. I wonder if you could just set us up a little bit with how did you get to this place where this hmm. is, this is the medicine that came through you to offer hmm. the world. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, first off, may the ancestors guide what I say as well as what you say back to me. Um, the thing that I said earlier about how uh, uh, there is potential in the blackness. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> even if you can't see it, the spark. You know, one of the most interesting things that I learned is that um, the universe that we know of started about 13 billion years ago. About 300,000 years after that, uh, there was a spark. The sun actually began to develop, but it was still darkness. Uh, And so so it was even years upon years upon years before the sun was even visible, but it was still there. And so that's the way I look at my mother and my grandmother. They were engulfed at times in their lives, they were engulfed in darkness Um, and watching them navigate that darkness and keep moving forward and keep taking one step and moving forward. Uh, Not, not perfection, but moving forward towards something else. Yes. Even when there was no, no signposts, nobody saying, you can do this. You can. You, you got it. There was that internal spark in the darkness that allowed 
my mother and my grandmother to keep moving, keep moving through domestic violence, keep moving through their own limitations, keep moving through uh, the hurt and the pain, keep moving through the society that says that they were nothing but um, uh, uh, vessels of production um, and to create something else. And uh, watching them do that, there are times where I'm experiencing something and I, man, I can't do this. I, I always go back to, 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 to watching them and what they, what I um, soaked in from watching them move through not only just, not only just uh, their own personal things, but also the historical things, also the intergenerational things, also the institutional things um, that, that would hurt them and wound them. Um, and they would uh, 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 get back up. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I saw my mother and grandmother get knocked on their tails and get back up. And that, that in a variety of different ways. And, and the that, getting back uh, up was the yeah, lesson. The getting back up is the lesson. That the, there is no failure. Uh, the, just one thing that I learned from them is that there's no failure. That <clears throat> that it's only practice. And that and that um, each time you get back up, you learn a little bit something about your ability mm. to handle the fire, about your ability to allow the fire to burn away the inadequacy to allow it to burn away the doubt, to allow it to burn away the things, the, the kind of limiting things that you have placed uh, in your life. Allow, and the more, the closer you walk and the further you walk towards the fire, the more you're going to sweat, the more you're going to stink, the more it's going to hurt, but things become clearer because you're burning away. When I watch my mom do, you know, one of the things that I've learned is do something that sucks every day. That's how you get better. If you do something that sucks every day, you find out very quickly what your limitations are. Not doing the things that you're good at, not doubling down on what you're good at, doubling down on the things that you suck at. And you learn something about yourself in the process of doing that. So that would be a form of self-care. That, well, well, self di- talked about yeah. in your book. It's at times it's that you know you have to be able to face things that don't feel good. That's it. Self discipline mm. is self love. Self discipline is self love. Show me somebody that's not disciplined, and I'll show you somebody that doesn't love themselves. Mm. Right. Self-discipline, your ability to get up and do the things that suck, even when you don't want to do it. Right. There is a carving out of a self that comes from that. You can't get that. You cannot get that by doing the stuff that you're already good at. Taking a bath isn't going to get you there. Taking a bath, taking a Calgon bath, soaking your feet. And, And don't get me wrong. Those things are nice. Those things will not burn. Those things won't carve out and push you up against your limitation and say, choose. Right. Choose who you're going to be right now. Right now. Not tomorrow. In this moment, in this time, how much you're going to give. That's self-discipline. There is no plan B. 
That's self-love. And the more people, the more you can do that, the more you're able to sustain and tolerate and persevere. And you'll learn something about yourself that you didn't learn before you went through it. Mm. That's what I learned from my mother and grandmother. That's what I learned from Black women, period. Yes. Period. (laughs) Is that ability to be able to contend with what is present get knocked on your ass. I have, not, I have not learned that. I I I, I saw it in uh, Muhammad Ali. I saw it in James Baldwin. I saw it in, in, in any black man that you can imagine. But I felt it when I see my mama do it. Mm-hmm. I experience it when I see grandmama do it. I experience it when I see my wife do it. I experience it when I see the women around me doing it. In in the in 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 the face of a a a society that says that has been cultivated around taking advantage of their bodies as modes of production. Right. Um and and watch my ancestors and my elders and my mother and the women around me. That spark is what I, 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 I use to continue to do what I'm doing right now. There's a few things that are coming to mind for me. One of them is that spark. It, it, that feels like resiliency. That feels like growth. And that feels like it's, you know, the other side of what we talk about when we talk about post-traumatic stress, right? Yeah, it's yeah, the other yeah. side of it is that we can grow and we can be resilient yeah. and we can get stronger. The difference, the difference, the difference in the way that I talk about resilience, yeah. and, and, and in the way that people kind of couch resilience is that they, they couch resilience as a bounce back. I don't believe resilience is a bounce back. I believe resilience is is integral to the energy that exists, whether I bounce back from something or not. Um, that I'm reading it, resilience kind of like the calluses, right? Like when you talk yeah, about your grandmother's yeah, hands, literally right. those calluses. It is, a, it, is a, it is the calluses. <clears throat> it is the fortif- Each little thing creates a fortified mindset, mm-hmm. and that fortified mindset is more important. That conviction around the fortified mindset is more important than your muscles. Yes. If you have a fortified mindset. You can do the impossible. I have watched it happen daily. I've watched it in my people. I have watched it in my clients. I have watched it in, um, you don't get out of this without experiencing the call to be better. Mm. And, and, and those calluses and that fortification um, is so important. And many times, especially when we do one of the reasons why I wrote the book, when we start to begin to talk about race, especially white bodies, one of the things that happens with white bodies, because they are so geek, because the whole society is geared around their comfort, they conflate comfort being uncomfortable with being unsafe. And so what happens is, is you have progressive white folks who already feel like they got it and haven't developed the requisite amount of calluses and fortification to be able to go through the fire and burn away things, what they do is develop strategy and not culture. You develop culture, 
by going through stuff with other bodies like bodies. So you can begin to develop language, understanding processes, procedures, and, um, and a container that can actually hold all of the fire that's going to happen as you start to move towards building a, uh, a somatic abolitionist uh, mindset and the somatic abolitionist communities. Um, the, the, that only happens by being, by help, by fortifying your, your mind and then ha- making sh- and, and having your body follow that. And part of fortifying your mind, if I'm understanding this right, and I, I really want to, mm-hmm. is um, being able to tend to yourself, being able to sit with the clean versus the dirty pain, as you talk about, mm-hmm. being able to settle yourself so mm-hmm. that you can be a presence with other bodies so that mm-hmm. they can also settle themselves. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that you're only sitting in things that feel good. It means that even in the face of things that are uncomfortable, you can be a settled body. And, and, and the settled, the settledness is not, the settledness is not the destination. It's the journey, right? So in that, in those pieces where you're, where you're beginning to, to, to begin to try and do it, do things, um, that you haven't done before as it relates to race. I'm now speaking primarily to white body mm-hmm. that, that when, as you begin to move in that direction, you're going to start to, you're going to sweat. You're going to experience the heat, right? In those times, you may not be able to be uh, quote unquote settled like, like Kumbaya type of settled. When I say settled, what I mean is social engagement. Rather than going through the mobilizing strategies or the immobilizing strategies, you're able to either go through those and then come to social engagement. That means you're mean going like to, eye contact and conversation. Well, no, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, um, the energy that it takes when I have been activated and my activation has pushed me to snapping at somebody or push me to collapsing, I'm able to either move up back into social engagement or down into social engagement and deal with all of the energy and the burning that comes with that and come back to it the next day, get another rep in and get another rep in and get another rep in. That's That's been the missing element when you talk to white people about creating um, a somatic abolitionist mindset and somatic abolitionist community. That's what's been missing. They've been going to strategy as opposed to culture. This is why this is why liberals and progressives will never win because one of the things that happens is that they go to strategy, whereas the 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 their their cousins, the um, the the white nationalists and the um, and the alt right. <laughs> They go culture. They're creating culture. Mm-hmm. They're creating symbols, words, historic a history. No matter how abhorrent that that's history and the the language and the music and all that stuff is, if I'm a 15, 13, 12 year old white boy, that's a ready made culture. And then I go to talk to my my progressive cousin, and my progressive cousin is talking to me about strategy. And this is where you talk about this. This is where the culture is about belonging, right? And that's, and and the belonging part is the part that we're all, I mean, as human creatures, all of us want to belong somewhere. And so it's, that's the part that regulates us. 
that that's exactly brings right. us back into that settled place. That's right. And if you don't have it, people will create it. <laughs> right. And 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 that's what you're seeing now is that so everybody, yeah, everybody's saying, why are so many people doing this? Why are people doing that? And why do we believe this guy? Why do blah, blah, blah? Because they have symbol, they have culture, they have an ethos. Even if the even if the ethos is a horrible, horrible ethos, it sustains and holds, right? Totally. Totally. I, I, what's coming up for me as we're talking about this is um, you talk a lot about the soul nerve, the vagus nerve. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about the neurobiology behind it all. And I, in a past episode, I interviewed Stan Tatkin and we talked a little bit about just how as humans we're hardwired to, um, to see the other in somebody else, as opposed mm-hmm. to see the, the commonalities and the places where we can connect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, how much this all fits together there too, in terms of as, as a species um, is, is belonging that hard for us to look for? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. And, and, and hold on just one second. That's okay. Okay. I'm back. All right. So, so part of, part of the thing, part of the thing around us seeing the other is that we see the other until we develop a kinship. We see the other until we develop community. We see the other until we're able to establish some sense of who we are together. Yeah. We think, and this is the, the sometimes um, I think where, uh, where progressives get it wrong is that we think that that, as long as I have the, the individual ethos that says I'm nice or that, uh, 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 that things, things have gotten better, right? That that is adequate to dealing with white body supremacy. And what we know is that it is not adequate. That is not an adequate response to, uh, to genocide. That is not an adequate response to land theft. That is not an adequate response to enslavement, right. colonialism, imperialism. It is an inadequate response. And so one of the things that, that we have to st- stop doing is acting like the, the, the things that we've developed that, uh, uh, to address some of the things that we're contending with that uh, we we have to we have to stop acting like they are adequate. They are inadequate. Your mm-hmm. individual niceness towards me is inadequate. I'm hearing that. Yeah, yeah. I I noticed as I was reading um, my grandmother's hands that I was having all of these different experiences that I don't even think you were necessarily guiding me through in the book. That yeah. were other sorts of revelations that I was connecting to what I was reading. Yeah. Um, so things like, you know, as I would start thinking about, um, colonizing, it seemed to me that that was really a lot about assimilation, about Mm. trying to be like, right. Mm -hmm. Or liked. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I would start looking at, (laughs) it was springtime when I was reading and all of these ants were emerging and they were crawling into my house and, you know, they are a colonizing species, right? That's That's right. And so I was watching these ants and thinking about, them in my house, but me on their land and like this whole <laughs> thing happening, you know, and 
And then I would fly out to Colorado and I'd look at the land and I, it was just all of these little houses popping up everywhere. Right. I started to think, you know, 300 years ago, whose land was this? That's exactly right. Right. This this was indigenous land. And so I'm starting to look at the earth differently. I'm starting to, I'm starting to look at so many things differently. And I don't think I'm, I think I'm just beginning, you know, like my toe is just dipping in the water. Yeah. Um, but I'm noticing that all of these different experiences are coming through me in all these yes. different ways. Yeah. And yeah. I'm really connecting it to what I'm reading. So I just That's wanted it. to kind of put that there. Yeah. So, 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 so one of the things that I didn't realize in terms of the way that I wrote the book and was, was, was starting or was happening um, with a lot of people is that a lot of, uh, a, a lot of people who are interested in developing a, a, a somatic abolitionist mindset and communities is that they're reading the book eight, nine, 10 times. Yeah. And, and they're going back and they're, and they're finding things the first time that they went through that they were like, Oh man, I was, was, did he write this? Okay. Did he, <laughs> you know, and I'm having people contact me and what's starting to happen is that people are starting to, to read it. They read it through the first time they do the practices. They, and what has happened is that some people have avoided some of the practices, right? Because it's too much. They're right? confrontational. They're, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with yourself, you're in confrontation with yourself. That's it. That's it. And what's happening is, is that people are starting to go back through it. And then as they go back through it, it pushes them up against the limitation again. And then now what they're doing is that they're starting to do the practices with other people. So, so they're they're doing community. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Now you're developing a culture. That's it. They're, they're doing it in dyad. So if I do it in a dyad and I do the practice and you watch me, you I can't see my own forehead. So I'm going. you're going to see things that I'm not going to be able to experience. I'm not going to see the flushness. I'm not going to see the, the shaking. I'm not going to see all of the pieces. You will at the same time that you're seeing it, something that's happening to your nervous system. So people are doing it in, in diets and then they're even extending it and doing it in triads. So you have a share, you have a witnesser, and then you have an observer. And all of those people doing one exercise, one, one practice, they all, something happens when they each play each role. Right. And then when you unpack it, all of this stuff. And so I'm finding that people are starting to do the dyads and the triads more and then bring and then actually going back through the book again. And so one of the beautiful things about the book is that people are really kind people are making it their own. They're actually using it as a way and holding through things. And then, of course, learning about themselves and their community and and start to begin to. start to begin to see things. Um, there's this thing called, have you heard of this thing called um, uh, uh, reticular uh, activation or reticular? Oh, I love it. So, it so it's a, it's a part of the brain that, that, that focuses on because, because we take in so many things in our, in our brain daily. Right. But, you know, we have like over 2000 thoughts an hour. Right. And and we and we're taking in all of these different things. So what the brain does, it begins in that area of the brain. It begins to say, you need to focus on the things that's most important, right? If you if you look at this flower and look at that lamp and look at all of these different types of things, and you focus on those particular, and you try and focus on all of those things, what's going to happen is you will go crazy. You will go mad, 
right? And so what it says is these are the things that are that are important. And so if you get reps in with something, all of a sudden you start to notice other things that are important. If you don't get the reps in, the, the mind will move it away and it will take it in, but it won't move it away. The phenomenon shows up. Like, have you ever been, have you ever been thinking about uh, uh, getting a new car, right? And you go, okay, I'm going to go get a new car. And you get this car and you're like, oh, man, this is a beautiful car. I love this car. You drive it off the lot and then you start heading home and then you notice Damn, there's a lot of these damn cars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas before you were like, man, I, I never see these cars. And now you're like, damn, there's another one. Damn, there's another. And the reason why that's the that's that part of the brain, because what that part of the brain does is it now makes it so you pay attention. Those cars were already there. You weren't like, seeing them. You weren't seeing them because they didn't matter. Now they matter. Right. Right. So, and that's the same thing when you're working with race or you're working with culture, part of creating a somatic abolitionist mindset and a somatic abolitionist community is that you need some reps with that to know what to pay attention to. And you need some reps with each other's nervous system so you can create a culture that knows what to pay attention to. Otherwise, it's just strategy. And those reps begin with dropping into your body, with observing somebody else dropping Absolutely. into their body. Absolutely. That's where those reps are. Absolutely. Begin. That's okay. where they begin. And then your experience, your experience was trying to apply what you're now beginning to see, right? And then getting pushed back and burned and then figuring out, okay, I got more reps to get, right? Yeah. That's how you begin to create somatic abolitionist mindset and somatic abolitionist communities, Right. Is that you are doing it. And now all of that part of the brain says, yes, this is important. So now all of a sudden, whereas before you would be looking through your phone and there an article shows up, you go, OK, and you swipe past it. Now you look through your phone and an article shows up. You go, oh, I can get that to such and such. Right. Because now we're all in synergy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where, you know, one of the messages that kind of came through to me within my grandmother's hands as I was reading it was that a lot of this um, healing of racialized trauma really does start within our own bodies. And this mm-hmm. is where, where you're talking about that, that it's it's very much on this level of understanding of doing our own reps, as you would say. That's it. That's it. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, you, you told me earlier, you're, you're, you're uh, in the strongman stuff. Yes. You know more than, you know more than anybody. If you try and get up and do the most weight without working your way up with reps, you're going to bust a spleen, right? <laughs> you're going yeah, to, you need you, to do your reps. You have to do the reps. Yeah. You have to get your mind ready for what it's going to take, where you're going to have to reach deep down into something. If you don't get reps, you can't do it. And so yeah. that's the piece. This the, the same thing applies to trying to uh, abolish white body supremacy. If you're not getting the reps in with bodies and getting the reps in yourself, you can cancel Christmas on this. It's yeah. not going to work. I, I love the way that you talk about um, all of this through different lenses. And you talk about the effects that white supremacy has on black bodies. You talk mm-hmm. about the effects it has 
on white bodies. And you also talk about the effects it has on police bodies. And I know that's not all the bodies. There's certainly other bodies that we haven't included in this, but that's a start. It's a start of the beginning of a conversation that we haven't been having. And for me, that's one of the really, I mean, it was really interesting even just to read through the exercises that you offer at the end of every chapter and see how you tailor those exercises differently for different bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. curious. I wonder if um, I know you teach this all the time and in lots of different ways. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to take our listeners through a, sh- a short little. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 So first thing that I start with whenever I'm working with anybody is always start with grounding. Mm-hmm. Right. And I always start with the breath. And I'm not trying to create yoga instructors. I'm not trying to create. I'm not trying to create swamis and all that type of stuff. I'm trying to get people to understand that when they ground, one of the things that happens is that the things that are ungrounded start to begin to to shake and vibrate. Right? Mm-hmm. Nothing's going wrong, but if you never if you never attempt the ground, you never know. You never understand what needs tending to. Right. right? And so, so, so one of the first things that I would say is just breathe. The first thing is just, just get someplace and sit down and breathe so you can see what needs tending to. So you can see what starts to begin to rock and shake. Um, and if you can't do that uh, the first time, no sweat, come back the next moment and try it again. If you can't do it, no sweat. Come back. You're getting your reps in now. Now you're understanding. Now you're beginning. Now you know what the limitation is, right? You know, a lot of people, when I say do this, their brain just races, right? It's going all over the place. And one of the things that I say is when they say, I can't do that. I've never been able to do this and da-da-da-da-da-da. And you can hear the elevation in their parents, right? You can see in their eyes, I can't do this. And I say, Something very, very simple. I say, I'm noticing that you can't, that you can't do it. So when you notice your your the the images and the energy moving, does the energy move from right to left, left to right, up to down, back to forth, forth to back, or is it spiraling, right? Now, see, you're the, making them notice the energy. That's it. That's the invitation. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. All of this. Einstein said it, right? Energy can be neither created nor destroyed. That's true whether you're talking about uh, talking about race or you're true if you're talking about quantum. It's the same thing. Oh, I love that. It's the same thing. Yeah, it is. It's totally the same thing. So when you notice, so when you help people notice the texture of it, what begins to happen is that things can begin to slow, not immediately, right? Because when I, yeah, over time, as you get more reps. Yes. You know, it's, it's interesting. I often will tell my clients in my office when they're struggling with this, with breathing, I'll tell them, you know, you're already breathing. Yeah. So, you know, what we're asking you to do here is change your attention yes. so that you become conscious of the breath and That's the direction it. of it. That's it. 
That's yeah. it. And what I what I'm clear about is that I you may only be able to hold that for half a second. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that attention for half a second, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Right? Now, the next moment, the next time you go to it, if you hold it for two seconds, you've just doubled it. Yeah. If you hold it for four seconds, you just da da da. Right? So, so, so one, of the rare, one of the things I'm really clear about is, is really slowing it down so people can, ha- can, can get at chunks of it as opposed to large swaths of it. Because in the large swaths is the overwhelm energy, right? In the chunks is the more is the more uh, metabolized or palatable energy. And that's why I'm saying that this all, this comes back to energy. This isn't even about the particular thing because you will be faced with that stuff whether you contend with it or not, right? And so all you're doing is slowing it down enough so people can actually begin to contend with it, whether you're talking about race, relationships, whatever you're talking about, right? And and people have it, and you'd be surprised how much um, once people are able to do it, you all of a sudden see what one of my mentors, Dr. David Snarsh, always says: you see brightening in people, right? Mm-hmm. There's this thing like when people can hold it hold it for like they started off where they were at and they can hold it for one second. Now they can hold it for 10 seconds and then they do it. All of a sudden you see this brightening, this posture, this thing, the spine, the eyes, the face, everything switches. Right. And then, and then as a community member, when you see the brightening, you go, Hey, 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 right there, right there, right there, right there. All of a sudden now you're compounding it. It's the ripple. It, it, it like, you understand what I mean? I because totally get not, what you mean. Yes. I've not, seen it. Yeah. Not only have you seen it and it's having some effect on you when you, when you see that kind of sacred peace in people. And I don't mean sacred in religion. I mean, when you see brightening and you see those, those neural pathways begin to expand and open and can, and, and create more room and you see it in the chest and you see it in the face, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, you go, that's sacred. That's that's yeah. a communal sacred thing that just happened to me. Irregardless of a church, of a mosque, of a of a Buddhist, of a blah 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 blah. Something just happened between me and you, and we both saw it. All of a sudden, there's this thing that begins to happen that begins to compound, right? That 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 you begin to articulate that that certain constructs that currently exist cannot language for you. You have to language it because you're in connection with that person and you, and you are being as affected by what you just saw as what happened in the person. Yes. And, and at that point, it, it could be that certain other languages and the things that we've been taught no longer fit. They don't. Yeah. They don't. They do not fit because, and what happens is, is you begin to develop a language with, with each other's nervous system that can't even be languaged. You talk about this in your book by saying that this is the reason people come to you. It's, it's right. not all the things that you know. It's not That's all the right. different skills that you've learned, yep. but it's this presence. It's this That's ability. Exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. It's my nervous system. It is my nervous system. My nervous system has enough room to hold them. As they move through this stuff. And to hold yourself and your ancestors. Yes. And yes. It's this yes. 
I, I that, often say that healing happens multi-generationally. It has to happen backwards and forwards. It that's right. It can't just happen in one space and time. That's exactly right. It happens backwards and forwards, forwards and backwards, up and down. Yeah. Uh, it happens. All, I mean, um, if my nervous system is more settled and grounded, there's a higher likelihood that my son's and my daughter's nervous system is going to be grounded, which me and then and then if my nervous system is grounded, then the, all of the stuff that my grandmother wasn't able to do that I can do now her nervous system, even though she's no longer here with me, can now settle. It, you know, that's reminding me of of something that I read and thought about at the same time within your work, if it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you were talking about a, a lot of different ancient practices that can help us settle. And one of them that you were talking about was the humming. And yes. you also talked a lot about how your grandmother had hummed and rocked and yeah. Yeah. different practices you witnessed. And yeah. my grandmother had also gone, um, she was a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. So she had, um, I witnessed her kind of still unraveling a lot of details and I would watch her walk in circles just yeah. walk in circles and walk yeah. in circles. And I knew yeah. that it was healthy. Yeah. I knew yeah. that it was yeah. coming back to yeah. center, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so that yeah. was being able to witness a nervous system that was yeah. doing its work. That's right. Beyond yeah. what you witnessed was beyond verbal language. Verbal language it is only this, this yeah. kind of contextual language is, is less than 50,000 years old. Right. Yeah. And so what you watched in a very sacred way, you watched that. You watched her do something, and 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 if you tried to describe it, you're like, well, scientifically, this is what happens when this, and scientifically, this is what happens with that. But that that experience is not the experience that you that you that you ex- like. The, the experience that you had could not be quantified, even if you were able to write stuff down. It couldn't be quantified in that way. There was an experience by watching her do that circular stuff that allowed you to go, this is not manic. This is healing. This right? is clean versus this dirty, clean. as you would say. And and so I'm thinking for our listeners, maybe this is a really great time to describe the difference there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So clean and dirty pain, clean yeah. and dirty trauma. Yeah. So clean so clean pain, clean pain is the pain you get by by seeing your limitations, seeing the things that you've avoided, seeing the things that you have felt like you don't have the capacity or the stamina or the wherewithal to deal with it. And you do it anyway. That's that's clean. Mm -hmm. Dirty pain is the same thing, but rather than going through it, you go around it. And and go ahead. Oh, I was. I'm the the word bypass came up as you were saying. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. Yeah, yeah. You figure out you figure out convenient bypasses, Mm -hmm. Um, and we all know both of those, right? We know we and there's a and when I say those two terms, there is a there's a texture, there's a textural component to it, right? Mm-hmm. It is not just it is not just an, a behavioral piece. There's a vibratory component when you're being dirty. There is a image and thought component when you're being dirty. There is a meaning component. There is a behavioral component. There is an affect component. There is a sensational component. When you're being dirty, there's also those same things when you're being clean. Right. And and what what somatic abolitionists uh, mindset and somatic abolitionist communities do is that they they work with those things 
right? And they develop it, develop the texture of it between each other. You develop a sense of it between each other, not just not just an individual piece. So this in the somatic abolitionist communities, um, and within your own thought, I'm, I'm curious about your own thought here. So much of the psychological, the spiritual, the physical healing spaces that kind of uh, we know of these days are, are very colonized, right? They're yes, um, yeah. There are a lot of white theories, a lot of white models, a lot of white approaches. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm curious. It sounds to me like the clean way to work through a lot of the pain, a lot of the trauma, and to do a lot of the healing for white bodies, black bodies, police bodies, all bodies is. I want to, maybe I don't want to say even what I think. I want to hear more about what you think the clean way to do that healing. Yeah. So, so, so the clean way to do it is that we know that colonization, we know that land theft, we know that genocide has been and is an ever present, um, has, uh, is, is ever present in this society. One of the things that I, a piece that I, that I talk about a lot is that, um, uh, the, the, the the five countries, the five superpowers, the parents mm-hmm. that started the enslavement trade, right? The Dutch, the Portuguese, the uh, Spain, France, and England. All of those countries had countries before they started the enslavement trade. They were they were superpowers before the enslavement trade, right? right. Um, America. One of the colonies, right? Uh, uh, the enslavement trade started in the inception of America, right? Before America became America, right? 1619 is when the first enslaved Africans came here. Before that, before that, you had mass genocide of the Tiano people and, and indigenous people, right? when when colonizers came here and so 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 you had you had the setup of genocide and then you had the setup of enslavement right in 1619 in 1680 after the the baker's rebellion is the first time you see the term white persons in virginia law right at that moment the white body became the supreme standard that's why i say white body supremacy right at that moment the white body became the standard of what it meant regardless of station regardless of station regardless if you own land or didn't own land that that moment the white body became the standard at the same time the antithesis of that standard meaning the antithesis of human was also set up and the antithesis of human was the black body so the anti-blackness is woven into the very concept of white supremacy and white body supremacy. That's in 1680. It is not not until 1776 that America becomes incorporated. This is even before we, like- This is even before. It is so in our blood. Do you see what I mean? America is, is, yeah. It's not the shark, it's the water. People are so busy looking for the shark that they that they don't that they miss the fact that they're steeped in the water of this thing. Yeah, and I I mean I'm I'm sitting here as as you're talking about this and I'm I'm hearing about the white supremacy and and 
um, how the white bodies gained that position and the black bodies gained their position. And I'm thinking about also the invisibility of the native bodies. Absolutely. That's all yeah. built into it. The, an, in. the anti-blackness and, and the invisibility of my indigenous brothers and sisters is built into the very structure. And this yeah. is before America became America. And, and what's, what totally shocked me when I was reading my grandmother's hands is how little I seem to know about history. Mm-hmm. You know, especially as you go back and you talk about medieval times and yeah. how um, a lot of this, the white body supremacy yeah. is even you know, rooted in more medieval culture. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's a big piece. And it's, it's so, so, so the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, right? And first of all, we have this idea that the, oh, there was only white people uh, in, in, uh, uh, in those lands. And the fact of the matter is, if you go back far enough, you see that the, that the first people in all of those lands look more like me. Right. That, you know, that 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 um, that that this idea that Europe has always been this white enclave is a misnomer. Right. Um, but but one of the things that happens is I had. So when I wrote my when I wrote the book, you, when you af, after you write a book, one of the things that happens is you get a galley copy back and a galley copy is just how the book is going to look. Uh, all of the everything is in there, but every, it's not. It hasn't gotten like its third edit yet. But it's like you know, you you, you kind of know how it's gonna. You look at it, you go, oh, yeah, I'm an author, right? So <laughs> it's been an amazing moment. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty cool. So 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 what happens is when you get that galley copy back. What I did was I had my publisher send me four galley copies back. Right. And I and I knew there were four elders and people that I wanted to read that. Right. And say and read it and then tell me, Resma, this is good. Or Resma, you need to take that out. You need to put this in. You need to switch this around. And one of the things one of the things that happened is I got the galley copy back and there's an elder here. And I quote her in the book, uh, a white uh, elder here. And, and I said to her and she she read the book. She 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 came back to me and she's in tears. She goes, Resma. She goes, this is amazing. This is an amazing, amazing book. And she said, I just would ask one thing. And I said, what's that? She said, when you talk about the white body, can you, can you put something in there that speaks to how um, what the white body did to Native, Indigenous, and, and Black bodies that the elite white body perfected on poor white bodies first. Mm. And I was like, ah. And she, and then she said the thing about the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages. She said, in the Middle Ages and the Dark Ages, all of the things that you see that we did to, uh, to indigenous people, that we did to black bodies, we perfected those, and the elite white bodies perfected those on um, poor white bodies, right? Land theft, um, yeah. genocide, plagues, inquisitions, uh, crusades, all of those things got perfected on the white body and the poor white body for a thousand years, for a thousand years. And then in 1492, that white body comes here. There was no, there weren't a group of, of black somatic therapists from Africa that went over there to try and help, <laughs> help them deal with that. 
that but that trauma and all of that stuff came here. And so the first thing when they came into contact with bodies that said, oh, you're hungry, you need help, you're dying, welcome, we'll feed you. The first thought was brutalization. The first, the first impulse was to conquer. The first impulse was to take. The first impulse was to murder. That was the first impulse. Why? Because that was what has ha- had happened and perfected for a thousand years. So now that thing that looks like civilization um, and looks like uh, and looks like culture started off as trauma. Yeah, and and then we start adding in police bodies too, right? Because yeah. civilizations, well, cultures yeah. need to be policed That's to right. maintain some kind of order. But right. things go awry. After things go awry. Well, I, you know, the the the, the policing structure. The very policing structure, especially here when we talk about here, is not until the 1800s that they that they began to uh, um, early 1900s, 1800s, 1900s that they began to uh, have people from England come over and basically militarize the policing department. Right, that's how it started to begin this formal structure. Right, yeah. is around, but before then, the policing piece came up out of the patty rollers and enslavement catchers right so all of that stuff is woven into the piece and here's the thing about white body supremacy is that white body supremacy has utility uh in the current in the future and backwards so once white body white body supremacy was developed then those parental nations also could use it in other places so even though it was perfected and developed here in America, right, it, pro- it proved to have utility in, with regard to the Dutch. It proved, it proved to have utility with the Fran- with French, with France. It proved to have utility with England. Proved, you see what I mean? So that idea of the white body being the supreme standard by which all bodies humanity shall be measured also proved to have utility within the, the parental uh, countries, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, how, how do we take this and as a society, as a culture, help each other grow and transform this icky place in history that we currently exist in? One we have to system. sit in it and notice it first. One, one nervous system at a time, yeah. two nervous systems at a time, coming, developing community around specifically around race and beginning to keep coming back to it and getting burned and coming back to it and getting burned and coming back to it and getting burned and getting stronger and getting more and, 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 and setting up the, the, the setting up the container. So brightening can occur. Brightening cannot occur if you can't tolerate and, and persevere and deal and develop stamina and, and develop a fortified mindset. Mm. It can't. So that's, that's, that's how you do it. One of my teachers is um, Dr. Uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories that she tells is of this moon mother who falls down to the earth and she's dressed in her black cloak and she gets stolen into this swampy place and tied down and hidden. And the people can't find the moon. They can't find the light at night. And um, somehow uh, these, you know, the ones who have hidden her, who have kidnapped her, are keeping her 
keeping her tied down where she can't move. But then somehow her cloak starts to move away and the light starts to get out. And then the people can find her. They're drawn to that light. Mm-hmm. Um, each time that you're talking about the spark, the image of the, mm-hmm. that story keeps coming back to me. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it seems, yeah. So, and I don't even tell it well. <laughs> You did okay, but you know, coming, yeah. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. modeling after my teacher, and she's yes, quite the storyteller. That's yes, right. Um, but story is medicine, and story That's is it. how we connect. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. this is this is yeah. Well, in developing in developing a uh, somatic abolitionist community, you also develop stories. Mm-hmm. You develop and you develop stories of, stories of you develop stories of overcoming, and you develop stories of of transformation. And you develop stories of perseverance and you develop stories of great things and you develop stories that begin to be shared. And then you begin to develop a naming of those stories and you begin to, de- to see yourself. You begin to develop your people and who your people are. One of the things that I say to white folks, especially, is that just because somebody is white doesn't mean that they're necessarily your people. They're your people they become your people over time. And then you will begin to develop an understanding of who are my people and who are not my people. And 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 only giving over to this white solidarity, right? Yeah. Which is which is the which is the the genuflect, right? Is to move towards white solidarity. It's not about good, but not about being bad. It's just that's, you know, there is comfort in being white. Um, there is, there is, there is, there is real safety in being white, right? Uh, a white woman's tears can move a nation. Black woman's tears ain't gonna move a damn thing. Um, and that, that's the society that we live in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's totally the society we live in. And I, I think maybe we could take it a step further just to notice that a white woman tears, a woman's tears up against a white man still don't, I mean, we, we all saw it happening with the Kavanaugh trials, right? That's right. And that's, uh, and that's, <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing that has to be dealt with in the white community, yeah. right? That, 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 that the hierarchy exists, that, 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 that type of hierarchy is still built around, is still built around the white body. Now there's all, it's still there's white all, body there, 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 yeah. And you, and you, you have those things that happen, but, but the interesting thing, the interesting thing that I find is that given everything that we know about this, white women still voted for mm-hmm. this man. Yeah. Right? And it's that's true. where I come back in to large the, numbers. In large numbers. This is where I come back to the to, 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 to the white solidarity piece. It's not about it's not about your goodness or being good or mm-hmm. or, or bad necessarily. It's like this thing is the water. And if you never examine what's in the water, and if you already know, and you're the smartest person in the world, and you're the da 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 da, all that different type of stuff, you never get at that, and you create, and you can't create culture that is different than the culture that you see. The only way that you create culture than the culture that you see is to be clear about what you're looking at, and be and develop a container that can that can handle the reactions that um that 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 happened when you're looking at this thing so if i sum up what i think i'm hearing it it's really that our consciousness becomes a filter 
when we're when we're taking in that water like that we can practice our own discernment through the filter of our bodies through the filter of what we're noticing within us and how that feels and where that resonates and that's and not just and not that's how you clean it but not just what you feel because we genuflect to feeling and affect a lot what you experience in this totality, what you experience in terms of the vibe, what you experience in terms of the thought, what you experience in terms of meaning making, what you experience in terms of behavior. I mean, all of those things. The energy. The whole, the energy of it. And, 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 and you will learn something about yourself individually as you move through it. And if you do it with other people, you will learn something about yourself communally as you move through it. Oh, gosh. I want to go back through your book like 12 more times and lots <laughs> of do. different people. Please do. Please do. Please <laughs> I do. do. I will. Do. Yes. I'm yes. curious, you know, I also, I have um, within my practice a number of um, police bodies mm-hmm. who, I, who I do see. Um, mm-hmm. Some work in law enforcement, some work in corrections. Um, mm-hmm. And I notice within them and this is a more collective, I'm not talking about any particular person, right? but I, I notice within them um, a need to, to turn off. They're so hypersensitive, yeah. um, hypervigilant about yeah. everything. Everything. And, um, when they like, I work with them relationally. So I'm working with them in their love relationships. Yeah. And even there, it's like they, they can't, no. they can't settle. That's no. the thing that they're struggling to do is the settling. They're stuck in activation. Yeah. Right. They're stuck in activation at the same time that they love their, the people that they, yes. that they're, that that's in their lives, but they're stuck. Right. And their eyes are only looking, remember the reticular activation thing that, that their eyes are only focused on the things that's most important. And when you're in an environment where you are giving aid to people, when you're in an environment where you are, um, not giving aid to people. You're actually brutalizing people. When you're in an environment where you see gashes in people's heads, when you're in an environment where you smell, where you walk into something and you smell blood, mm-hmm. right? When you walk into an environment and you see fire and you see a charred something, or you go in into an environment and a dog and you have and a, a dog is attacking you, or you I mean whatever it is, all of these different types of things. Your nervous system, if you don't have a routine and a practice that allows you that says after every activation, I must take time to allow and get my notice my nervous system to settle which means I must learn to ground. I must learn to orient. I must learn to move my body and let my body move in ways and move my body with other nervous systems that are, um, that are regulated. I must learn to, um, uh, 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 self-touch and support the parts of my body that are showing up with some type of pain or something, maybe something that I shouldn't have seen or something, that, you know, and let my body do those pieces and then use my self-touch. And then if I feel safe, other touch, have other people touch me to help that part of the body just notice support and settle down. If I cannot develop those routines, I am not going to be married. 
If I cannot develop those routines, my children will hate me. If I cannot develop those routines, um, uh, I probably am not going to get a promotion. If I cannot develop those routines, I'm probably going to develop a cocaine habit or a, uh, or a drinking habit. If I cannot develop those routines, I am going to be an anger junkie, right? So it is imperative that I develop, a, uh, and hopefully with other police bodies or other first responder bodies, I develop ways of settling, right, through routine and reps and repetition. It ain't going to feel right the first time I'm doing it. As a matter of fact, my therapist who keeps telling me I need to do that shit, I'm not going to see her no more because she don't know what the fuck she's talking about, right? And, and, she, and, and, and being able to say, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to come back to it mm-hmm. again, right? That's the piece. Are you noticing that culture is changing among police forces, at least the ones that are bringing you in to educate? No? No, no. Not to give that time to right, no, settle. No. No, they're not giving. The, the, so, so the organization of policing is uh, is grinding police officers up yeah, into yeah. dust. The amount of police officers that are waiting or trying to get a medical um, medical retirement yeah. um, are trying to are trying to just. I just only got three more years. Just three more years, and right. I mean, you yeah. hear, in my office. I hear it. I hear I'm, it. I'm constantly hearing that, right? Yeah. Because because the system, the organization of policing. One of the things that I I tell uh, police organizations that I work with is that your your mindset of when people get get hired at, hired and training them is myopic, at best. Your 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 mindset should cover the lifespan of policing from inquiry to retiring. And that past retirement too. Yeah, I would yeah, say. yeah, yeah. Through, I should have said through retirement, mm-hmm. right? And so, and so, if 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 you are not if you are not talking about these types of things that I just said, if you are not talking about these at the moment that somebody starts to inquire about being a police officer, like I, they're in high school or junior high and they say I want to be a police officer, you should be talk. There, there should be information with them talking to them about. Uh, secondary trauma. Yes. Talking, talking with them about vicarious trauma. Talking with them about moral injury. Those things should be part of the very onboarding and inquiry of being a cop. What are the things that should be doing that that should be being uh, done as you're going through it? It is not enough just to know weapons training. Right. It is not enough just to know uh, 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 de-escalation skills. What are the practices that are built around activation and settling after calls? What are after call check ins? Does your sergeant come in after a fire and make sure he gets his eyes or she gets her eyes on every nervous system that responded to that fire? Even when they say, I'm okay, Sarge. No, bring your ass over here. I need to see Organ, uh, police, policing organizations are not they're, they're They're trying just like other organizations. They're trying to look, look for little band-aids. And this is why, this is why along with the water, these trainings reinforce the management of the other body. And so 
that the focus is on the other body, but not self-management. Right. Not how did it begin to develop self-management. And remember what I said, self-discipline, not other discipline, not organizational discipline. Self-discipline is self-love. And if you don't have self-discipline, you are not going to be married long. Mm, this is so, so, so true. Oh, I mean, you're talking about every, every possible kind of relationship I can think of. Yes. Community relationships, marital relationships, parental relationships, chill, yeah. you know, like every relationship I could possibly think of all boil down to this, that you are yeah. responsible for managing yourself. Exactly. You are. So one of the things that I say to, so there are police officers that I work with. One of the things I say to them, and at first they'll get kind of mad about it, but then something sinks in and they get it. And this is one of the things I say. It is not your fault that this stuff has happened to you. Not your fault, man. But it is your responsibility to do something about it now. Yes. And when you accept extreme responsibility, one of the things that that does is that it broadens your response ability. If you don't accept responsibility, you can't broaden and and build flexibility into your response abilities. Yes. Right? Yes. And they get it when I say it like that. They get it. They get it because they hear it in my throat and they and they get it because they know what I've been through. They know what I've seen. They know that being over in Afghanistan, that some of the stuff that I experienced was some brutal shit. So when I'm talking to them, they hear it in the right way because they know I've been through some shit. They know I've been seen and smelled and experienced some things that I shouldn't have seen, smelled and experienced. And so when they hear it, it resonates in their nervous system like, ah, this ain't just some bullshit. This is this is authentic. This is real. This means something. Then somebody else could say that same thing to them and they'd be like, fuck you, move around. Don't, don't, you don't know what the fuck I'm dealing with, right? But when I say it to them, they understand. I am grateful that I get to share you saying it to our <laughs> listeners because I don't think anybody would listen to me saying it the way that yeah. they would potentially hear it from you. So I'm yeah. grateful. Thank you so much for joining us. And I'm curious as you know, I want to be mindful of your time and our listeners time. And, um, but I'm curious if there's any, any tidbit that you want to leave our listeners with that, you know, I'm I'm just struck with this world that we're living in today and and how we can all. I just think you got to breathe. You got to sit down. You got to spend some time in the quiet. You got to spend some time looking in the mirror and you got to start, stop accepting your own bullshit. You got to stop accepting your own bullshit. You got to start looking at those limitations, those things that suck that you think that you've been getting around, that you've been moving around, but you know your ass should be doing. And you got to get your ass up and do it anyway. Every day, consistently. Practice, right? Practice is controlled failure, right? controlled fear. That's why you practice is that you, you're, you're trying to find out what the limitation is and then take one more step towards it. And eventually you take enough step towards it. You are taking step. You will walk right past your limitation. But if you're never, especially around race, if you never get in the game, don't tell me how smart you are. Don't, don't quote shit to me. Don't, I don't want to hear it. I want to know 
who your people are and what has burned you. So if you're willing to do that, I suggest people pick up the book, start reading it. Let's get to it. I think that's a great place to begin. And <laughs> I, and I would recommend more than one read because yes. it's one of those books. The first time you read it, some of the exercises, they, they are confrontational and they're hard to sit in. I think yes. the second time you go back, you can sit a little deeper. That's why I call them practices rather than exercises, right? Yeah. It's because just like I said, practice. <laughs> it's practice. You got to keep practicing. Just like anything, if I was, if I wanted to pay a car, play at Carnegie Hall, I, I look. I'm gonna have to get my time. Practice. Up. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I'm constantly having conversations with my daughters about what practicing is. That's it. It's the meat That's of it. everything in life. It's the meat of everything. Is it? It, it, yeah. it lets you know what the limitation is. It is not a failure. It lets you know, and if you don't practice, you don't know what the limitation is. You don't, you don't know what the perceived limitation is. It strikes me. It also teaches us everything that there is to know about ourselves, right? Absolutely. Like if, I, if I do something differently than my teacher did it, that's okay. But I have yeah. to learn then how I do it. That's exactly right. I, I, so, so I tell people the story. It's a quick story. I went to the doctor about five months ago. Uh, and so as, I'm, as I go there, I, you know, something, things come to you that you don't realize until after you've gone through a process, right? And so I go to the doctor, and every and I'm in pretty good shape, right? I, 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 it, so I work out, I try and eat right, I do, you know, I try and keep my stress level down low and all that different type of stuff. So I go in, and um, they take my blood, they do all of this different type of stuff, and my doctor comes in. I had to, I didn't had this doctor for a lot for a lot of years, right? So, so I come in, he's, uh, 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 he's got his glasses on, he's sitting there and he's looking through the numbers, he's looking at the computer, he's looking at the numbers. And then he goes, um, he takes his glasses off and I'm looking at him and I'm like, what the hell are you taking your, you know, I, I know, you know what I mean? And he goes, I don't like these numbers. And I look at him and I'm like, what you mean you don't like these numbers? He goes, I don't like these numbers. He goes, when I'm looking at your cholesterol, I'm looking at your HDL, I'm looking at your height versus your weight, all that different type of stuff, you know, and your age and all this different type of stuff. I don't like these numbers. I, I went off. I said, these are the same goddamn numbers that, and this is the way we talk with each other. I said, these same goddamn numbers I didn't have for the past uh, some odd years. And, 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 and I'm going off. And he goes, he goes, uh, first of all, stop yelling at me. <laughs> and then second of all, those numbers, these numbers that you are touting so highly looked good when you were under 50. You're over 50 now. I have to consider these numbers differently. And now being 53 years old, those numbers that look good when you were 45, 46, 47 look like shit. And I'm mad. And he goes, I need you to lose. At the time, I was I was six feet. Six feet. Well, I'm still six feet. I am strong. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm six feet. Uh, I was 206 pounds, right? And he said, Resma, I really, as you move up in age, I'd really like to get you down to between 185, 190. You know, I just, the, the, you know. And then he said, your HDL numbers are probably high. He said, you do look good. He said, but... There are things you're gonna to have to do something, and I'm and I leave and I'm pissed, right? And what yeah, I didn't realize, <laughs> what I didn't realize is that I would go there, 
And so my wife, so I, I'm on my way home, I call my wife and my wife goes, she goes, how'd the doctor's appointment go? I said, we're good. And then she goes, what did he say? And then I, and then I launch and I said, you know, I'm going there and I, and I said, and, da, 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 and my wife starts laughing. She goes, Resma, it sounds like you go there to, you thought you were going to get an A and he gave you a B and you're pissed. She goes, do you go there like get your, like get, feel good about yourself? And I didn't want to admit it at the time. But she was right? She was absolutely right. She was absolutely right. You know, because I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm doing good for, you know, old, old 50 year old man, right? That's what I'm saying, right? And I was like, I, and what she said, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I hung up the phone. I was like, I ain't talking to your ass either. So, so then, <laughs> so then, <laughs> so then, so then what happened was over a couple, next couple of days, I'm sitting in my house and I'm sitting there. And this keeps coming up and this keeps coming up. And then he's telling me, you know, I really want to get you down. I really want to get you down. And I, and I said to myself, this is the quote. This is what I said. I said, you know, I'm doing all that I can do. I'm working out. I'm working out every day. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then I'm, I'm sitting there. And, and in the little voice, right, this, that voice, when you, when you get enough reps in, that damn voice won't leave you alone. It's the voice mm-hmm. of greatness. It's the voice. Is the is the voice of that's calling you to live out the purpose that you were. We can find ways to drown that out, right? But I know enough now to know. Just slow down and listen. So mm-hmm. the voice said, "You ain't doing everything that you can do. You do the same fucking exercises that you that you've been doing for the past four years. You do the same one." And I was like, "Yeah, but you know, I'm getting stronger. I'm getting." Yeah, and you comfortable. You're comfortable. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, fuck. So I get out a piece of paper. I did the same thing I tell my clients to do. Got out a piece of paper and I wrote down all of the exercises when I work out, all of the ones that I don't do. The ones you don't like doing. The, all the ones that I don't like doing. All the ones that when I'm at the gym and somebody say, hey, man, you want to work out? I say, yeah. They say, well, we're going to do this. I go, I don't do those. They say, we're going to do this. I don't do that one either. They're going to say, we don't do this. No, I don't do that. Right? <laughs> and I wrote down the list, and it was a long list. It was longer than the one. That's right. That's right. We all do. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said, okay, this is, this is, this is, uh, this is beast-making season. You're going to be a beast or not? That's what it is. The call is for you to be a beast. Are you going to be a beast or are you going to act like you a beast? That's it. Right? And so I said, okay, here we go. I said, I hate, 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 hate with a red hot passion. I hate pull-ups. hate pull-ups. I hate flutter kicks. I hate push-ups. Right? I'll go in. I'll do squats. I'll do deads. I'll do some bench. But some of these other things, I hate it. I said, okay. I go into the treadmill. I go and get on the treadmill. I do a little funky half hour and be like, ooh, that's good. That's, you know, I'm good. I was like, you know that ain't taxing you. You know it ain't pushing, right? So I said to myself, okay. From now on, I can only do the exercises that I don't like doing. Oh. Yeah, listen. Yep. That's all I can do. 
I can't yeah. do I can't do none of the ones that I like doing mm-hmm. because I know how to do those. Doubling down on my weaknesses, not on my not strengths. Not even like a reward at the end of the workout. No, no, no. I had to get some reps with this first. I can yeah. I can incorporate the stuff that I like after I get some reps with this. Yeah. So I, I said that. to my so I said to myself, okay, Reza, every day you got to get in a hundred push-ups. Not all at one time. You can get a hundred here, a hundred, five here, twenty here, twenty-five there. But by the end of the day, when your body hits the pillow, you got to get a hundred there. Okay, you got to get at least an hour on the treadmill, right? Uh, every day, and you can't leave the gym before you do at least a hundred flutter kicks and get in at least thirty pull-ups. So if the 30 fucking pull-ups take you two hours to do, you have to stay here and do those pull-ups. And I will tell you, I will tell you, here I am thinking, you know, I'm doing something. That first day I decided I'm going to do this. I came up with every fucking excuse (laughs) to not do at least one of those exercises. Right. Right. So I got I got on the treadmill and I got to about 45. And I said, you know what, that's good for today. And then I started walking towards the bathroom and I and that that voice said, You, you are a you fucking you, you man, you a weak dude. You can't even do this. And I was like, Well, if I do that, then I'm not gonna be able to do the rest of the workout because I got this thing that I'm supposed to do at this time. And then another voice said, then get start getting your ass up at five o'clock so you ain't got to worry about that. Start getting up at four o'clock so you can't got to worry about that. But but to use the and then I and, and and so I just like okay to just to stop the voice I got back on the treadmill right I got back on the treadmill and did the next fifteen right and felt a little just a little bit about it right then I got walked over to the to the uh, um, to the pull ups I can't do pull ups. I just can't, right? So I said, okay, you can't leave till you do 30. If the 30 takes you two hours, it takes you two hours. Take your hour, it takes you hour. Whatever it takes, right? So I get up there, and the most I can do at that one time was five. And I sat down, and I was pissed. I'm like, I don't have this much time. I don't have this much time to do this, right? Everything I'm trying to do. And so I did all of that. And, And to make a long story short, I started doing it and I started to notice something about myself. I started to notice that the limiter that I had put on myself, the kind of, you know how in the car, your car has these limiters. It says 130, but you get up to a certain thing, it starts to shake. That my limiter was not what I could do. It was what I thought I could do. So now today, if I look at, if I tell you about how my workout is today, now my and, and now what I do is I add 10% every week, right? I just started doing this recently. So now I'm up to an hour and 17 minutes on the treadmill. Um, I do 600 push-ups a day, right? 600. 600, right? I do 600 push-ups a day, uh, 50 here, 10 here. 40 here. Sometimes they're inclined, sometimes they're declined, sometimes they're straight push-ups. It don't matter. I just got to get push-ups, right? And I can do I can do 53 
pull-ups now in, in about seven to nine minutes. Wow. And I, could do, and I could do 18 at one, one time. And I don't, I don't, I actually like it now. I like that. Now when I, I go, okay, there's something I got from doing the shit that I couldn't do. There's something I got from it that I couldn't do if my doctor hadn't said he didn't like those numbers. Mm. And so that's what we have to do so, in all facets of life. Yes, I'm hearing this is a huge metaphor, this story. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is just how, like your doctor said that he didn't like those numbers. You didn't like how that felt. You didn't like the reflection your wife gave you That's right. around that too. But then you sat with it. You sat in the discomfort. That's it. That's and you it. came up with something that was new for you. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And I walked towards the fire and it burned away inadequacy. It burned away a sense of doubt. And I keep walking through it every day. Another thing that I do is when I take showers now, I only take cold showers. The coldest, the, the coldest shower. And I, I, I heard this from a monk, right? is that it forces you, when you take a cold shower, it forces you to contend on your body, on your body. It forces you to contend with the shaking. It forces you to contend, it, it fortifies your mind to where you go, can I do this? Why am I doing this? I don't need to do this, right? And if you can hold it for one more beat, you learn something about yourself. So now when I take showers, I started off with five minutes, doing five-minute cold showers. Now I'm up to 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Wow. Okay, I got to ask. I have one okay. question. Okay, go ahead. In, in all of this, right, I mean, we're talking about this somatic um, abolitionist kind of approach to to being in one's body, to all, to all these relationships. Where's their space for pleasure? Um, here can I, so I'm going to be real with you. <laughs> the I'm shower brought that up for me. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be real with you. Yeah. As once you get through it, there's pleasure in the, uh-huh. in that. Yeah. I love this shit. There's actual, I actually like it. There are days where I'm like, I ain't doing a cold shower. I'm doing a warm shower. And then I say to myself, I trick myself. I go, okay, Rasmus, you can have a warm shower. Just do five minutes. You did. Five, you could do five minutes then. Just do five minutes. And then when I get in and do that five minutes, some said, "Fuck that! You here now? You might as well get to. You know, you might as well get to twelve. I love that. I. You know what I mean? That's that shit is so. If somebody would have said this to me before, yeah, before I went through it, and they said you gonna you gonna get to a point where you are gonna love that pain, you are gonna love that shit. I'd have told them they were out of their mind. I, I I love testing myself to see, okay, can you do this? Can you get up in front of people and say this? Can you speak your voice? Uh, can you bring the ancestors through your voice, through your body? Can you can you just do one more rep? Can you do, right? That type, If somebody would have told me that I could do 600 push-ups and be like, when I'm done with the 600 push-ups, not cussing, but be like, fuck yeah. That's pleasurable to me. That's pleasurable. Yeah. I hear you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. And, and, and I don't, it ain't like I'm lifted all the time. I mean, I go see movies. I'm a comic, I collect comic books. You know, I do shit. You know what I mean? I do stuff yeah. like that. 
but when it's time to get it in, it's time to get it in. It's differentiating the difference. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I like Stranger Things. I watch. I watch. I just binge watch Stranger Things the other day. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm a nerd. I'm a blurred. I'm a black nerd, right? And so, so, but, but when it's time to put in work, like w- when I'm writing books, right? I don't write my books. I don't write my books by sitting in front of a computer. I write my books by going to my agent's house, sitting there. He asked me questions. I send him notes. He asked me questions. We record it. We send it to a transcriptionist. She writes it up, sends it back, and then we edit it. Oh, that's beautiful. That's how I write all my books. That's why they sound conversational, right? Oh, because I can't, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not Baldwin, right? I can't sit there and just type. I can't do that. Right. I have to I have to like I got my juices get flowing when I'm with another human being. Right. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I have a book working through me, too. And I actually have a date with my with a with an editor who I'm going to. Yeah. So that's that's, yeah. That's how I do it. That's the way I think I need to also. Although now you've got me thinking if that's just another one of those self-limiting beliefs. So. Maybe I need to sit down in front of the computer too. Who knows? <laughs> you know, you know, it, it, yeah. It, yeah. So this, it's, it's all good. Resma, I, I feel like I just, um, I don't know, gained more light or something through this conversation. <laughs> so, thank you so I just want to thank you for sharing your light with thank all you of so us. much. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is Pre- such an honor. Appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate right. you too. And people can find you over at resma.com. Right? Yeah, R E S M A A.com. And I also have a free e course on Yes, please on that tell site. us yeah. about that. So, yeah, so check out the free e course. It was a way to start getting people to kind of have some sense of how this works visually. You can understand it through the book, but you could, but sometimes people need auditory, they need it in a bunch of different ways. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that. so go to resma.com and order the book if you haven't ordered the book. And, and if you have read the book, please do a review on Amazon for me. Um, it, it really helps. So I'll post mine later today. Thank okay. you again so much. Thank you, sis. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. When Resma and I talked, I was deeply affected by this conversation. And then with all of the recent events in Gilroy, El Paso and Dayton. I've been preparing this interview for you to listen and I've been even more deeply affected by our conversation and more inspired than I was at the time of the recording to go back through my grandmother's hands and do some deep work. If you are in the New Paltz, New York area and you want to dive in to doing that work with me, I would love your company. Shoot me a message. And we'll work together to find a time and a space where those who want to meet and dive into this work in community, in dyads and in larger groups, can do so. And I'd love to hear how this episode and others connect for you. While this discussion may guide you into the connectfulness practice, it's not meant to be a substitute for counseling with a licensed provider. Reach out and initiate the ripple. Learn more about my counseling practice and my collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. 
This episode was brought to you by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is a simple, secure EHR platform that keeps you organized and creates a container for all the details that run your private practice so that you can tend to what really matters. Use the promo code CONNECTFULNESS and get two months free when you sign up at therapynotes.com. I want to express deep gratitude for Sarah and Chris Ferris, the musicians behind the delicious soundtrack for the Connectfulness podcast, which was recorded and mixed at Kidney Stone Studio. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.